Oncology Systems Limited are the leading provider of radiotherapy ancillary equipment in the UK and Ireland. Serving the community for over 22 years, we pride ourselves on exceptional service and quality products. Please take a moment to visit our website www.osl.uk.com and take a look at our product lines, which include macromedics for patient immobilisation and IB dosimetry for all your radiotherapy quality assurance needs. We are more than happy to take your questions, so please do get in touch via our website or email inquiry at osl.uk.com and one of our specialist team will be available to assist you. Hi everyone, welcome to Rad Chat. We are at UKIO Liverpool. Um, so my name is Naomi John Danson. I'm joined by co-host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. Uh, so we have a wonderful guest for you. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself please? Hi, this is uh, Marcel, Marcel and Herc. Um, I'm a professor in uh, radiation physics, radiotherapy physics in Manchester and I'm here at UKIO with, uh, with two of my students. So you have an accent? Yeah. Where are you from? I'm Dutch, very Dutch. Okay. Very uh, Dutch. <laughs> so I uh, was born and raised in Amsterdam but from parents from the deep south which is like a hundred kilometer south of Amsterdam is quite deep south in the Netherlands. <laughs> So what brings you to UKIO? Well, yeah, the, obviously uh, it's fun to see uh, see what's going on and, uh, and and look at the boots, new developments. But uh, but ob honestly, it is to support my students doing the, the thing. Okay. So what were your students doing? So so I've got two uh, MPhys students here, which which are master students, and they do short projects uh, in our group. So they spend two three uh, two semesters in our team uh, uh, working on uh, improving 4D imaging uh, for better visualization of the heart and they had such a nice result I said well why don't you send it in and they did you know with one day spare <laughs> for, for the deadline no well no 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 it was the other way around yeah, I think on Tuesday they had the good results and then we went looking which conference oh, is open you think it's a good one then yeah, oh, that, that's how we got here. What, what got you into physics in the first place? Take you right back. All right. Um, I'm a computer electronics guy by hobby. And so when I was done in high school, I thought, well, what should I do? Math? There was no computer science at that, that time. I'm that old. So I could do maths now, chemistry now. Yeah, the, I kind of... To, uh, ticked everything off and the thing that was left was physics and it's not a bad study. I think physics, the nice thing about physics is you don't really learn anything, you know, you learn a, a bit about lots of stuff and you learn how to think and how to solve things. So what, what do you do day in, day out? What does a day in your life look like? All right. Um, Apart from today, which is hangover day, <laughs> but today, yeah, it's, it's a lot of talking, you know, the, so uh, I supervise uh, and co-supervise uh, quite a few students, so, uh, so yeah, they come with the results and then we think about it and then try and come up with new directions, new ideas, and so, uh, and that, that is great fun, you know, the, that's research, what research is all about, you know, the, Finding, combining two things and coming up with something new. You're very modest about it because actually, <laughs> it, you know, you kind of say I help support them, but it's it's a lot of work, isn't it? To oh, kind of almost support students, but also in terms of what the output and the impact of some of the results of research. Are. 
Yeah, no, obviously it is, and uh, but it's uh, but it, but obviously what is really great is to see the young people grow. But uh, but the outputs are, are very nice, and yeah, we've got students working on AI, on imaging biomarkers, on image guidance, on all sorts of adaptive radio therapy, all sorts of stuff, yeah. and uh, and it's great, you know, that they all come up, come up with great papers and, uh, and and nice ideas that hopefully at some time makes it into make it into the clinic. Is the 4D CT side is that what your main interest side? Do you have a real passion in physics? Well, I, actually, I, I'm imaging, imaging and radiotherapy, and but basically, I do anything that would make radiotherapy more precise. So, so I've done contouring studies, I've done uh, motion composition of images, uh, all sorts. Of, well, obviously, lots of things in image guided radiotherapy, and you know about the margins probably. Uh, but uh, the uh, but yeah, the, this particular project was about uh, 4D CT, and um, and uh, one of the problems with 4D CT is you always have artifacts because of breathing motion if it's irregular. So we're working together with a group in London uh, on a, um, a motion modeling and motion compensation scheme. That's with Jamie McClelland, and um, and we were trialing that out. And then these students came along, and I thought, well, maybe we can figure out something out to, on top of that, also improve the visualization of the heart, because um, not so long ago, uh, everybody figured out that actually the heart was a major, major, major organ at risk, and we obviously know it a little bit longer from breast radiotherapy, where you have very late effects uh, uh, if you give too much dose to the heart, but we were looking into uh, lung radiotherapy, and kind of everybody thought well you know heart damage is late damage is not going to be a problem unfortunately for lung cancer patients because they don't survive long enough but it turns out that that it is you know you can really see a big difference in outcome uh, depending on which bits of the heart are radiated or not and uh, so so a big jump that we're going to do in the Christie is uh, introduce a rapid learning trial where we're going to switch the dose constraints to the heart at the end of the year and then we, we keep on monitoring our clinical outcomes and hopefully we see a jump for the better at, at that time. Yeah. Uh, but to, to be able to do that, uh, we need to spare particular bits of the heart, which is around the, oh, uh, the sinoatrial node and the root of the coronary arteries and I don't know all this stuff is called, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm a physicist. But, but, but that's very difficult to see on a 4D CT because the heart beats not in rhythm with the respiration, so so the heart is kind of randomly visualized, and so so the idea that uh, the students worked on is to see whether in the 4D CT data you can actually see the beating of the heart and only use the images where the heart is kind of in rest, and uh, and it turned out to be bloody bloody difficult, <laughs> uh, but they managed to do it. And so uh, the day before the deadline of UKIO, they came to me and said, look, look, we did it. Uh, you've got an image here. And I said, wow, this is really impressive. You should write it up as an abstract. And they didn't hear anything until nine o'clock at night of the day of the deadline. Yes. And then they had an abstract and, uh, and then edited a bit. And, uh, and that's where we are. But so what do you think the future of radiotherapy looks like? Do you think, you, are you involved in anything that you think could revolutionize radiotherapy? Well, obviously there is, I think that was, that was a big discussion today, is, you know, the, that uh, 
uh, there is you know there's a very large demand not a lot of work not of not of work for us so so the first thing I should always say uh, from my radiographer colleagues is the future of the radiotherapy is in radiographers hands yeah but it also means that uh, you know the uh, that stuff needs to be automated more and so I think that is now the the current drive and and I think uh, you know the current systems aren't succeeding very well you know, they do a fair job of like auto contouring uh, which which saves a lot of time but then a radiographer or a clinician comes in and edits all the contours which takes lots of time again and uh, and I think that is for for uh, for a part because I think uh, people that work in radiotherapy haven't been trained to think of the big picture you know because so who cares about a millimeter contour if, if the organ is going to move a centimeter later and so so I think the, at least uh, what I'm working on is trying to uh, look at the at the uncertainties of the whole chain yeah. and then see when you're doing a particular step how accurate do you need to make that step uh, uh, such that uh, it doesn't affect yeah and if you know that then you can hopefully accelerate that step and the other step and the other step and and especially with adaptive radiotherapy you know, which which is now coming on the bed on the patient's bed you know it's currently it's a bit silliness isn't it yeah fraction times of 20 minutes 30 minutes an hour that's that's totally non-sustainable and it's not good for the patient either because the patients will are upset uh, get pain but they but but they are starting to move as well, you know, and, and that totally defeats the purpose if you kind of make a really, really tiny adjustment and then half an hour later you start treatment. Yeah. That, that's that's, yeah, that's kind of a factor to consider. And I suppose weight loss is something as well further down the line for patients that can. Yeah, although obviously with, with adaptive therapy you would, would compensate for that. But, but yeah, but, uh, but then, you know, the Christie has an MR Linac, which is a beautiful machine. But, but there's only one, and so who's, which patients need to be on there? Nobody knows. So, uh, and you're talking about weight loss, but can we predict the weight loss? And, and, and if so, uh, do we need to choose those patients for adaptive radiotherapy, or maybe do we have to change something else in the workflow to, uh, to compensate for that? And, uh, those we need to get the prehabilitation for the patients correctly. We do it so well for surgery, but we don't do it as well for radiotherapy. Yeah, no. Uh, that, predict the weight loss and know what, what's going to happen. No, I, I, I agree. Although the, I think the, one of the problems, of course, with weight loss is just that the mask doesn't fit anymore, which basically means the patient is starting to move. Uh, but the weight loss itself often doesn't affect the radiotherapy that much. You know, the, it's, uh, but, yeah, the, but I guess uh, you need to think about it and plan for it. I know work with the clinical scientists, it can be really frustrating because us as therapeutic radiographers, we go, oh, we're not visible, nobody knows who we are, don't know what we do. And that's exactly some of the issues that clinical scientists face. Um, you know, for anyone who is thinking about maybe working in healthcare and knows maybe lots about nursing, going into become a doctor or an allied health profession, what would you advise to anyone who might be considering 
working as a physicist or a geosynthetist? Well, uh, well, the, obviously there, there are lots of different physicists, and uh, and you know I'm 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 truly a research physicist, and for those who want to do that, I would say follow your dream. You know, the, if you have have some knowledge and or a hobby that you like try and combine it with uh, with the studies that you're doing because that makes you special and for me it was electronics and computers in the old days when when it wasn't around that much and which which helped a lot and so uh, so I built a lot of stuff uh, but uh, yeah for other people it could be it could be something else uh, you know if you if you're into if you're very mathsy you know, uh, that is a good skill to have, to combine uh, with physics. But, but it's, it's really finding your special niche, because the, in research physics, uh, it's, it's, it's all about finding the right, right niche to work in. And then obviously that needs to be something that you, that you really enjoy. A clinical scientist, I guess, are different in a way. And, um, and, and maybe, by necessity less adventurous <laughs> but uh, on the other hand uh, I think a lot of people go into a clinical being a clinical scientist from a research background and I think that that is really good because you know at least you've seen possibilities and you've learned how to do a bit of research because that that is always necessary you know if you're going to replace a planning system or an algorithm you have to test it out, make sure that it's that it's okay. Uh, what is the benefit? You need to quantify that. So, so those are skills which which come in very very handy. And and I think with with now the uh, pressure on the training places, I think actually a lot of people are higher educated before they go into there. So so that, I guess that's by nature. The uh, and and you are you you are talking about patient facing and. And I, I do miss that, uh, the, especially during the pandemic, you know, uh, all the research team was working from home yeah. and then you don't really have that feel for what, what you're working for. But even, but even in daily practice, you know, we, we have a little uh, department, a research department, which is a couple of floors away from the, from the treatment floor. So yeah, coming, going to the treatment floor more often and, and talking to your colleagues and and radiographers particularly. Yeah, yeah I think that's that is really, really nice. Oh, well thank you so much for joining us. It's been <laughs> a pleasure um, to have you on the podcast. Um, and you're you're well renowned within your field. <laughs> so we'll be sure to share your details so that people can learn more about the amazing research that you have done. Well thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. And we'll see you on the dance floor tonight. Again. Yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs>